for World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are today with another episode of a World of Work podcast. We've got a really, really fun conversation coming up and we're speaking to a friend of a show. So it's going to be super exciting. Jane, what are we speaking about today and who are we chatting to? Well, James, today we're talking to Kay Bahia, who is a strengths-based coach and leadership consultant, and she's an EMCC senior practitioner. And we're going to be talking all about taking a strengths-based approach to personal development and strengths-based approaches in the workplace. Fabulous. Super, super helpful, important conversation. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the main part of today's podcast. We've got a really exciting conversation lined up today. I think a lot of you know that we're really interested in looking at the strengths that we bring to the things that we do. And today we're going to be having a conversation about strengths-based development. And we're going to be doing that with one of our friends of the show, Kay, who some of you might have seen before and some other things that we do. And we're going to spend a fair amount of time exploring some of the ways that we can think a little bit more about strengths in our approach to our work. Before we get into that, though, Kay, could you introduce yourself and say a little bit more to the audience about yourself and your background? I'd love to. Thank you very much for that introduction, James. So, my name is Kay Bahia. I'm a EMCC senior practitioner, strength-based coach and leadership consultant. And I've worked in the corporate world for about 20 years and I've experienced lots of different psychometrics and tests. And I really found some really positive benefits and impact from taking a strengths-based approach. So I'll be really excited to share that with you today. Fabulous. Thank you, Kay. And I guess, you know, I'm going to jump straight in and, and ask, I guess, the big question, which is we're going to be talking about strengths-based working and development, but what is a strengths-based approach to our work and our development? It's a brilliant question. And I think probably like myself from a corporate world, I was used to looking at strengths and weaknesses. So strengths was always framed in that context. But I'm really interested in exploring strengths from a positive psychology um, perspective. So those who may not be familiar with this area is positive psychology is interested in what's great about people. It comes from, you know, Aristotelian kind of philosophies, but also humanistic approaches. So rather than strengths versus weaknesses, it's about the qualities that you have that energize you, that make you feel that you can't help but be successful. You may experience things like flow, being really engaged, and you're probably drawn to similar strengths in others. So it's a much more human quality of this is me. And that's how people describe it when they are become more familiar with their strengths and notice how it leads them to be successful. So it's about parallel to this sports psychology, what makes you go from neutral to great rather than fixing what may be perceived as a weakness. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought that was a really interesting sort of turn of phrase you used there about describing what makes you and what you bring. It, it feels like there's a little bit of sort of intrinsicness within that, which I think we'll come on to explore a little bit later in, in terms of what these strengths are and where they we're focusing on this conversation today. And part of the reason we're talking about this is because it's not always the way that we do things, right? So we don't always focus on strengths. It's a different way to think about things. So I guess if I, if I were to pick up with you now, what's the alternative to this? You know, if we're not adopting a strengths-based approach, what is it that we're doing? And, and what are some of the challenges of doing things in that other way? So I think, you know, if we're looking in a work context and also in our personal context as well, we often look at a goal or a desired outcome 
And we then frame where we are from a place of deficit. So if we're looking at fitness, we might think, oh, you know, I'm not fit enough. I'm, I, I'm not the right weight or I'm not at the place I'd like to be. So you, you evaluate yourself from the negative. And similarly at work, at personal development programs, appraisals from a yearly perspective, you look at where, where the deficit is, where the gap is. But interestingly, from my work in working with companies, companies who are successful start with what they're great at. They don't look at what they're terrible at and then say, well, how can we fix that? Because you're not going to be great at everything. So I think the alternative, sadly, in the workplace is that we still take a very mechanistic perspective on where someone is, analyze the gap, and then basically do the opposite of energizing them, make them feel very conscious of their deficit and hope that that something will change. And in you know 20 years of a corporate career, whilst I have had some really positive successes, it often didn't come from me being better at being analytical on a spreadsheet. It came from me uh, leveraging my strengths, with, be it with people, be it creativity. And that led to the same outcome, but in a much more aligned way to who I am. So, and I also think, you know, the elephant in the room is that I don't think there's enough evidence that profiling works. As a salesperson, we were taught to profile people, you know, are you dealing with someone who's a director, an introvert? Is there a dispro for what might be their Myers-Briggs? But when I've spoken to people and had honest conversations about whether profiling makes an impact, most people say it's, it's fun to do, but so is a star sign question as you get on Facebook, but it lands in your draw. So I don't think we're there yet, but I think the old way of the deficit approach doesn't work. So there is evidence that the strength-based approach is definitely an improvement upon that. Like the uh, reference to modern day astrology there with our star signs and all that. I mean, that stuff is booming as a business, if not necessarily in any way evidentially backed, which is interesting. And clearly you can hear a fair bit of your passion coming through in this. What, and, and you say you've seen impacts and benefits and better outcomes. It sounds like you, you've jumped quite deeply into understanding strengths-based work and then bringing it into your coaching as well as your your working practice. What was it that, that's really drawn you to this? You've sort of alluded to it, but but what is it that for you personally has made this seem like a really interesting place to focus and spend your time? So I think for me personally, it was at the time about 12 years ago when I was studying my MBA and we were looking at lots of different tools that you might use in leadership and organizational behavior and development. And, and the usual suspects came out, including Myers-Briggs, which by the way, based in the big five personality profiles, so that they are based in recognized models of looking at people and how they interact but it just didn't seem to resonate with me and my benchmark at the time and you know I'm not going to apologize for this being cheesy was Covey's seven habits I remember reading that book quite early in my career and it just having a visceral impact in me in terms of sharpening the saw thinking about how I related to people and I still remember and think of quotes from that book but nothing in my MBA that was people related resonated with me in a sense that I can see how this would make a difference. And when I spoke to other people, they found the same. On a personal level, I was languishing. I chose to do the MBA because of some sort of personal changes I had in my life and I enjoyed the studying, but I wasn't feeling happy. And I came across this new field of positive psychology. I did this questionnaire and I was actually really disappointed in my strengths. I'm going to be really candid. And I wanted to have really amazingly powerful strengths like courage and enthusiasm and being eligible. And they're all woolly, soft strengths. And I showed my mum and she said, well, that's just you. You are creative. You are appreciative. That This is you. And my first reaction was, I wanted to be this other person. But then my second reaction was, 
actually, this is me. And when I look back at my career, when I have been successful, it is when I've been able to use those strengths. Something shifted in my, there's something in this, but I didn't know quite what it was and where it would take me. And that was 12 years ago. Sorry, James. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you. And I can really resonate and connect with that sort of exploration of of our strengths as sometimes not being what we just hoped that they'd be. So I guess with that question, if we think about some of the things that changed for you and how you were drawn to it and then some of the things that are there, what do you think some of the impacts are then from an individual or a team perspective uh, making that shift over to really focusing on strengths? If you if you jump in and focus on strengths, what is it that you see as the benefits for, for teams and, and the benefits for organizations overall? Yeah. So when you differentiate strengths from other psychometrics, the two things that the research will indicate is one, they are experienced as a sense of um, being and doing. So people describe the, the strengths as someone as something that describes who they are and how they engage with the world. So that's well recognized. It also, the second part of strengths is that it also intrinsically motivates people, as, as you said earlier, and it directs people towards opportunities that will lead to flow. My layer upon that from my research in the last 10 years has been that it amplifies the way we connect with others, both in a negative way and a positive way. So what I've observed with people I've worked with, including teams, that when two people interact, they either reflect strengths that they share or they reject strengths that they don't have. And so you have this very, on a micro interaction level, this battle between relational style that might be comfortable for one person so an introvert versus a logical introvert versus an extrovert sort of creative type and you have this jostling and when teams are effective they naturally over time find ways of creating bridges between strengths so one person may be an extrovert creative type the other person might be introvert logical type but maybe they'll find learning or evidence and perspective as a bridge between their two approaches and the reality is that we've all known how to do this. When we've worked together physically in meetings, in the office, we've slowly adapted to and got to know each other's strengths. The reason this is so much more pressing and important now is that the way we're working, those micro interactions are lost. So when we are on video or on Zoom calls, our first reactions not only set the tone for how we judge that person, but it amplifies the degree to which we're going to engage in that conversation. So if someone reflects my energy back to me, I'm likely to get energized by that and be more engaged and hopefully they would be engaging back. But if someone diminishes or I experience my strengths being rejected or judged, then it sets a very different tone. And I think the world we work in now versus 10 years ago, there aren't enough natural social factors that soften that polarity yeah i think it makes what you're saying there makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense and also rings to know just brings back some memories of choices i've made and the way i've thought about things and and also i think back to myself as a line manager and i think i worry that when i was first line manager i would have heard what you've described as a strengths-based approach i think i would have said oh isn't that just avoiding the real problems isn't that just avoiding my weaknesses don't i have to and I've told you this story before, and I know some of you already said it. I took a job once that was basically everything I was no good at because I thought I had to prove that I could do those things. And it makes me think that maybe it's quite hard to go into some workplaces and, and make this argument that they should be working to people's strengths and supporting people. What sort of barriers do you see when you sort of advocate for this or when you've seen organizations try to do this work? What 
do people accept it? Are they okay with it? Are they excited? What, what sort of happens? What's the reaction? I think being really candid, the first reaction that most people have to any kind of profiling is suspicion. And so what? And yeah, right. I think are the natural reactions to things. But I take a very positive psychology 2.0 approach to strengths. So I don't think strengths are only experienced and interacted with in a positive way. So I think strengths can be expressed in a negative way as well as a positive. Your weaknesses are different to strengths. Weaknesses may be things that just don't energize you. So I'm a responsible adult. I pay my bills. I'm responsible for my children. But there are certain things that just don't energize me. I'm not interested in being overly analytical or logical. I can be those things. They just don't energize me. So I would call those things remote abilities or weaknesses, perhaps. But my actual weaknesses are the same as my strengths. And I'll give you an example. One of my key strengths, my strongest strengths is creativity. And I get this real sense of being energized by it. So whether I'm creating something for my kids to mess around and play with, or whether I'm triangulating data, I get a kick out of it. The negative side of creativity is being a bit all over the place, a bit scatty of not having focus. So I'm great at ideas, but I often need people around me to say, okay, so what's the point here? Let's let's draw it to something we can execute upon. So the weakness, my weakness is the same as my strength. And the only thing that impacts whether I interact in a way that delights people or ticks them off is whether I'm aware of how that strength is received and whether it's what someone is looking for from me at that time. So it's really interesting you say that. In some senses, it really reminds me of how we often talk about values at World of Work Project, which is that Values are not inherently good or bad, but we have Mm. to understand they're personal to us and we have to be able to understand how others perceive that and also understand others' values so that we can communicate. I think it's really interesting what you say about like what others would talk about as a weakness is actually not a weakness. It's just stuff we might not want to do. The weakness is where our strength shows up in a a sort of a not useful place, let's go with. And do you find the organizations, rather than the individuals doing it, do you find organizations are able to embrace this? Do they, like if someone, I don't know, if you're coaching someone and they're like, you're talking through strengths with them and then they go to their boss and or they go to their team or, or whatever and they say, hey, I've got this whole thing. I'm going to try and be really, you know, I'm going to focus on working on my strengths, but also on making sure that I understand where they're causing problems to flare. Um, do they generally get a decent response? Do they? Do people know about it? Is there an awareness or is there a suspicion about it from a management point of view? So for other people around the individual who's working on strengths notices a shift in engagement. So people I've worked with have talked about their own confidence, their ability to speak up, their ability to lean into opportunities. And what the research around strengths shows that when an individual is engaging in their strengths, it helps them to flourish, but it also has this positive contagion effect around other people, even if you're overusing your strengths. So my creativity example was a, an example of overuse. But the data shows that people are typically underusing. So when you are in a workplace, when individuals are using their strengths, it actually encourages other people to re- react and respond more because you're increasing the energy in the room. You're increasing the contribution rather than everyone waiting to being quite reticent and waiting to see what the next steps are and I guess the negative side when I've seen it with a particular leadership team that I think of quite some time ago was that the leader was very different in his strengths profile to his direct reports he was much more driven very analytical very research oriented highly sort of academically um, sort of informed and he was dealing with individuals who are much more 
who related on a much more emotional level. And that's where I noticed the opportunity to think about strengths as bridges, because rather than sort of guiding or inviting someone to change who they are or how they relate, is to see whether there could be different ways of engaging and bringing people in. So that's a relatively new part of my work, but I am seeing some really early success around that. An example would be where someone feels more comfortable dealing with someone emotional or dealing with someone who's a bit more reserved without diminishing their sense of who they are. So a bit of a follow-up question, sort of rounding back on strengths themselves. Just as we've been speaking, I've been thinking a little bit about it and I would just like to explore it. How about that? When we speak about strengths and when I you know, read lists of strengths and things like that, one of the things that sometimes I'm curious about is the distinction between strengths and preferences. I wonder if you've got any reflections on that. So when I look at strengths and think about them and think about my own, they very much align to my preferred way of, of doing things. And, and it yeah. feels like I'm kind of drawn to this as a preference. And so I find the word strengths is kind of interesting in that space. What do you think the relationship is between strengths and preferences within this, or does it matter? Um, I guess from my perspective, language can be incredibly personal, important. And when I work with clients, I invite them to use their own language to describe their character and what they're experiencing as strengths. So I tend to describe these traits as strengths, and that's what the research originally sort of was informed by. And, and to Jane's earlier point, it's also known as values in action. So it's how we interact with and interpret the world in relation to what's important to us. But preferences would be expressed in your strengths. So if you have a strength for wanting to, the love of learning, for example, I call that strength cultivating knowledge, but that might give you a preference for wanting to lean into research and literature, not take things at face value. So it may direct your behavior in a certain way. But the interesting thing that I discovered recently around preferences is that all strengths aren't equal. I looked at my data for the last 12 years and I initially thought that my data was wrong because there was this huge bias to a certain group of strengths. And certain, some strengths are popular and some strengths are rare. So when you come to preferences, if you happen to have a preference that speaks to a popular strength, you're going to find more harmony and synergy with other people. If you have a preference that speaks to a more remote, rare strength, then you may have a preference that makes you feel quite isolated sometimes or actually more confident, depending on your perspective. So I, I think it's deeply integral to strengths. Yeah, interesting. And, and that's really interesting thinking about that, I guess, the, the segmentation of strengths based on their prevalence, I guess, within a population. So with that being the case, you said some are more prevalent than others. What sort of scale or difference do we have in there? Are there, are there some that are really rare? Are there some that are really more ubiquitous? What, what's your sense on that distribution piece? So with um, many strengths approaches, the focus is always on the signature strengths, which are typically your, your top five strengths. And in my data for the last 12 years, I've noticed a bias towards strengths, which I describe as the top five strengths are altruistic. So this element of kindness, curiosity, groundedness, which is sort of, you know, being down to earth passionate, the ability to love and be loved, and rational. So those are the five that I've seen. And they correlate really well with data that's been done by um, a big study by Parks et al, which looked at strengths across the world. And so kindness and, and fairness, those sorts of strengths always come up as the, the leading strengths. What I found fascinating was that the strengths often promoted by the self-help industry come out as the lowest or, or the least frequent strengths. So being focused, optimistic, enthusiastic, they are incredibly rare strengths. 
So when I meet someone who has some of those strengths, it's really exciting to see how they notice that as a difference they positively regard or whether they see that as a difference and makes it more challenging for them to relate and engage. And it's that tension between belonging and being ourselves and how we navigate those two polarities. Yeah, interesting. It's fascinating when you start to look at it at that sort of more macro level. I'm fascinated about your comment about the self-help industry versus what you see when you look at the data. I think that's really interesting. And anyways, it's not a conversation for now. I think some of that narrative goes contrary to some of the larger global narratives that we have as well of what different parts of society are like and our, our connection. So it's just really interesting to see that that sort of clash or, or contrast in there. Um, in your experience, if we think about our strengths, how frequently do our top strengths change? Do they flow and evolve? Do they do that in a directionally aligned way? What shapes, the, I guess, the genesis of strengths in us and portfolio of key strengths that we have over time? How does that flow and change work? So in my own experience and also the research that I've done, I've noticed that typically your at least three of your strengths in your top five will, will pretty much stay the same over time. My three top strengths have stayed the same over the last 10 years. My sort of middling strengths or my five to 10 strengths have jostled around depending on whether I was working in a corporate environment or being an entrepreneur or studying. So there might be some shifts there. But the short answer is that big life events that make you reflect on yourself and your place in life and what you might want to change will invite you to consider new pathways and new opportunities. And whenever you're learning and developing, your strengths will align to that change. So we've got some variation, but it sounds like there's some pretty core core levels of consistency over your lifetime for a lot, for most people around your strengths. What Think about people listening to this, right? I'm listening to this. Maybe I haven't come across the strengths base before. Or I've heard of it and I'm not really familiar with it. What is it? Firstly, how? what are the different ways I can I can find out a bit more about my strengths? And also, why would I do it? What's in it for me, do you think? So I'll give you a very relevant personal anecdote that hopefully will set the tone and then how people can organically learn about their strengths. There are obviously formal ways of doing the, the psychometrics. So the organic way is when I first met you virtually, Jane, at this sort of evening sort of uh, session where we were learning about the Beck course, I found your approach and your description of things and your own personal journey really captivating. I liked your energy. I liked your approach. I had no idea what your strengths were, but I just got the sense of this is a really interesting person. I'd love to talk to them more. So I reached out to you and we've spoken a few times. And hand on heart, before you've done your profile, and, and listeners will get this verified by Jane, I just found our conversations really easy. I found them really interesting. I always learned something. So I had a suspicion, because obviously I, I live and breathe the strength stuff, that maybe we have strengths in common. And then you recently did your profile, and without sharing your profile, I'll share mine. One of the strengths we have in common is this desire to learn and this hunger for knowledge. And what that led to was a conversation that, the time went really quickly. We learned something. We wanted to carry on progressing. If we didn't have strengths in common, I would find that conversation a bit more dry. It would be much more outcome focused, much more transactional. So that's the experiential difference of when I meet someone that I click with, I know that I have a strength in common, which means I can be more me. So in the work context, what that means is that if you're more aware of your strengths, and you notice how you react to someone, if you react to them really positively, then one way of describing your strengths would be write down, what is it about that person you really liked and enjoyed? Because that's likely to be a strength that you have. 
And equally, you can look back at your successes and do a very sort of commonly known exercise, which is called the STAR uh, exercise people use for interviews, so situation, task, action, result, and really describe successes in those terms of what you were thinking, feeling, and they will also highlight to you your strengths. Well, highlight to you areas or opportunities to bridge would be the opposite. So people you've connected with that you just didn't gel with, or they got your back up, or you found them really frustrating. To describe what the qualities were that you found challenging, how would you rather have? How would you rather they have reacted to you, or what was it about them that you found challenging? And you might notice two things: one, they might be diminishing a strength that you value. So a client of mine is has playful as a signature strength, and he notices when his um, when a senior person dampens that energy, uh, wants to move away from humour. And equally, I have to be really conscious of creativity as a strength because it's not always a high strength for people. I've got to be mindful that I'm trying to retain some focus in my conversation and just see what you react to because that will be a really quick way of identifying what energises you. And then there are formal ways of doing profiles, including mine and others, which you can take a much more analytical view of how you're aligned. Brilliant. Thank you. I was just thinking, because you're right, that is the conversation we had and and that absolutely is what showed up in my profile. I'm just thinking about some of the things that when I was looking at it came up, I think you referred to them as remote strengths. So not necessarily problems caused my strongest elements, but by stuff that I don't, I hesitate to say I don't care about because that's not true, but I definitely feel less passionate about and it feels less important or less, I mean, as it seems to them, it feels less like me, right? Mm. And I guess slightly different question, which is, if we think it is better to work towards our strengths from a place of giving us more time and flow and energy and all of that, that sounds great. But what if the absence of those strengths or the remoteness of those strengths is problematic for someone or is creating challenges? How does that matter? Do we ignore that? What's the way that a strengths-based approach would think about something like that? So I think the goal of trying to correct our weaknesses or our remote strength is a fool's errand because my approach is that we have to find ways of developing our awareness so that we can assimilate the gaps in our ability to deliver certain things, either by bridging or finding strengths that we can learn or working with others who can support or give us that feedback and keep us on track. So I have explored and experimented with being, you know, trying to activate my lower strengths and seeing what happened. What happened is I felt less energized. I felt like shoulds. I felt that I should be more focused or I should be more this. And it didn't feel energizing and also didn't achieve the right result. So I think it's that honing, it's that awareness and honing and thinking, how can I apply this tool better? Coming back to the seven habits approach of we engage with each other And it's in reflection and interaction that we learn how to best contribute and is in relation to other people rather than individualistic pursuits. That's how we get there, in my view. Okay. so then imagine you've got, I don't know, a team and they're super they've heard this. They're like, this makes sense for us. This absolutely makes sense. Maybe this is where we've been going on and they want to the the manager wants to explore it more. How would they go about that as a team? And what might that mean? for what they might do differently in the future based on how they're working now? So there would be, so I think of um, three constructs. I think of me, we, and us. So the we is the collective we. And without leaning into strengths, what normally happens is that when a team comes together, they reduce down to the common denominator in terms of everyone 
contributing less to to maintain harmony. Then the we approach becomes more about how I can be individualistically successful. So taking a strengths approach would invite a how can we define us? And it's very much into leaning into the values conversation. But what it would look like from a strengths approach is if you and I, Jane, were to work in a team, what strengths would be amplified? The number one probably would be learning. So we would be interested. So a good bridge for us is what can we learn from this situation that will support both you and me and energize us? I might need you to bring in more focus. You might, I might invite you to explore my creativity. So we might use bridges for that. Uh, neither of us are, are hugely high on playful. So neither of us are going to goof around. We're probably going to be directional. So the gap for us would be we're not going to be great stand up comics, I guess. So it's whether the impact of our collective deficit actually has an impact or whether we use other strengths to find the resources to to lead to the outcome. So it's how we combine our strengths together rather than there's a right or wrong answer. There is a wrong answer, I must add, where there is a misnomer that you want to align opposites. So whatever your remote strengths are, we would, you know, the, the argument that we should find someone who has those as their higher strengths and that would make a good team. In my experience, it doesn't. It leads to conflict and both people then reduce their contribution. That's so interesting. I'm just having flashbacks to teams that I've worked on and in. Because I think the playfulness one is particularly interesting because I'm not. And I, I've i worked with someone who is, and we were separate teams, but quite working quite close together. And it, it like when we were in high stakes, high pressure situations, playfulness would come out and it would drive me apps. I mean, yeah. apoplectically wasteful to me. But what I learned, what was interesting is, so when it was just the two of us, didn't help. But when we were working with a much larger team, we used to work with a site team of a couple of hundred. Some people needed that. And then I could see what that person brought, right? Because it, they picked that up when I didn't have to deal with it. So I think what you say is right. When it's just you, it's not like you suddenly need to plug a gap because there's no gap because it doesn't bother us and we don't need it. But if there are other people in the team that need it, then you have to start thinking, okay, well, there needs to be more than one of you because some of you need to find that space or that person needs to be given the freedom to do it because they need it or because they're exhibiting their strengths and it's where they'll feel at their strongest and, and value what they're adding to the situation. So that makes total sense. And I'm going to ask you a slightly different question, which relates a little bit to a conversation you and I have had. And it's a conversation that James and I talk about quite a lot. I um, mean, it relates a little bit back to this, why don't we all work like this? And also, why don't we work like this from a from a slightly more critical perspective, I guess, which is I grew up in a world where you were meant to fix the things that you were bad at, right? Yeah. And also that work was not meant to really be enjoyable. You could have moments of enjoyment and achievement, absolutely. But if there was slog, and I've put inverted commas, if there was slog for you, that was you earning the right to do work that you also enjoyed to some extent, right? I feel like as I'm talking to people coming into their careers earlier that they feel a little bit differently about that. But also I wondered how much that's why we've ended up working to a much more, I'm going to call it a weakness-based approach, but like a fixing approach versus this. And I wonder if if you find that, whether you think it's going to be easier for people to embrace a strength approach now that maybe people are letting go of some of that. I think those concerns are, first of all, really valid. But I, I want to differentiate whether the deficit is more to do with an outcome in the workplace or a personal goal that people want to work towards. So at the beginning of the call, I talked about fitness and because it's something that's on my mind, that I, it's on my should list. But it's interesting because I, 10 years ago, I was obsessed with running. 
I never felt that I should go running. I just loved it. It was something I really looked forward to. So he's never been a should for me, but now it's a should. And I know that whilst it's moved into that headset, that mindset for me, I'm not going to want to do it because I see it as punitive, as, as, as a negative thing. So for me to get to that place, I have to, for me, I know I have to activate that strength that creates that dopamine rush and that desire again. So the outcome is the same, this intention to want to get fit again. And you can do it either by focusing on what you're not doing or by engaging a strength that will create that desire, that intrinsic motivation to want to get you there. And before it used to be music, it was to my time in nature, or it might be a new route. So I'd bring my creativity, I would map out a new route that I wanted to do. So I would be activating a strength. What it wasn't was the strength of self-discipline because that is not a strength of mine. It was a different strength. So you can have a gap and want to move towards that achievement, but you do it from a place that energizes you because you'll get there faster, being practical. And also just commenting on how we've worked in the past, we probably didn't need strength so much because we were in the office. We were reading each other. We were understanding each other. We were observing each other. We have less of those cues. And even though we focused on a weakness approach, humans are stubbornly resistant to change. And even if you focus on a weakness approach, people invariably use their strengths to get there, whether they knew it or not. So with a spreadsheet analysis, I've never liked spreadsheet. I now love Excel because I can be creative with it. So it's a different way of using a tool that energizes me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. No, I almost guarantee there's no research about this. Well, if there is, it's not certainly not part of this topic, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I'm just sitting here thinking, for people who have significant issues with procrastination, there's often, there's definitely a narrative around it's not self-discipline, it's different. How, how much do you think a strengths-based approach could be a solution for some people in trying to generate that desire to get things done that maybe they struggle with from a procrastinationary point of view? Because I'm conscious there's huge growing market at the moment over procrastination tools, and a lot of them focus on time management, task breakdown. And I was just interested whether, I'm just speculating a little bit, whether something strengths-based approach might help. I think it probably would, but not so much in terms of providing a specific prescription. I think unlike a lot of psychometric models, which profile you in terms of colors or types, the strengths approach is a constellation of strengths. You have some strengths that help you motivate yourself towards change and the self-reliance. Some strengths are much more pro-social. And it's thinking about how that strength could align with that goal. So if it's about being, if it's procrastination, maybe it's you're missing out on that engagement with other people. So maybe it's having that group accountability, or maybe there's something else, there's a signal around this isn't motivating you, or you're, there's something else you want to do instead. So I think procrastination is actually a valuable piece of internal feedback, but it's what you do with that information. Is it you just haven't found something that works for you? Gamification is used hugely in lots of different approaches because it, it invites a sense of flow. You want to achieve, you want to get the next badge. But some people gamify better as an individual. Other people do it better in, in a tribe. So it's, it's aligning with who you are before you figure out what you want to do. Thank you. And, and that's a topic we've, we've covered a few times is sort of looking into that procrastination space. And it's an interesting dimension to bring into this type of conversation. If we're going to think a little bit about our organizations, I mean, if you could kind of wave a magic wand and have a team, you know, fully immersed in strengths-based approach, what would it look like? I mean, what would that greatness look like for, say, smallish teams, say five to eight people on a strength-based approach? What would excellent be 
in that team? What would their strengths blend be? How would they interact? What would it do? What would they do? So I don't think there's a optimal profile out there for the perfect person to be to lead a team in innovation or customer service or you know in other fields but I do think there's one takeaway it's the how strengths invite you to self-reflect rather than just to experientially judge or feel judged in the moment in interactions with other people so if invited this lens of I'm really enjoying this conversation perhaps there's some strengths going on or perhaps there's some synergy going on it'd be great to lean into that or equally which happens a lot I'm not enjoying this conversation or I feel uncomfortable or there's some tension here. What might be going on there? What might be a different way for me to engage rather than to be binary about it? What I'd like to encourage people to do is to think about how they can invite other people to own their strengths more, to find a way of engaging in a way they can contribute. And this comes before psychological safety. I think there has to be cognitive trust. I trust you're someone who can do what they say they're going to do because you feel motivated to do so rather than because I've told you to. And I think this cognitive trust comes from having alignment with strengths and you know the sense of we see the world through similar mental models. I think that's when people experience strength synergy that's the feeling of, I really trust this person to do what they're going to say they do. And this might be controversial to say, but I think psychological safety emerges from that cognitive trust because I see, I get why this person is doing things this way and I trust them to deliver for me. And then that permeates between two people into a team, into a division. I think we lose some of that emotional synergy as you diffuse, but it does create a more positive sense of engagement because of contribution. And if we sort of unpick that creation of a cognitive trust in the early stages and getting that as that that real framework, what are some specific practical things that maybe a manager and a team could do to bring to life more opportunities to create or be aware of existence of cognitive trust? So one of the biggest things is looking at how employees feel valued and recognized in the workplace. And and Gallup, who a big proponent of strengths-based engagement in the workplace, found that one of the biggest predictors of employee retention and satisfaction was using their top strengths at work, but also that their manager recognized their strengths. It's that recognition that almost amplifies our experience of our value at work. But sadly, the data actually showed that only 20% of people actually feel that. I mean, if you think back to people you've managed or been managed by, there probably were moments where you felt, actually, this person gets me, they value my contribution, and that motivates me more. If we can foster that awareness of seeing the difference in someone as being valuable, then that will, I think, invite strengths as being a way of supporting diversity and inclusion in all those facets, not just EDI in the workplace, but seeing difference as a valuable contributor and finding ways to connect with bridges. But it's that feeling of, as a reminder, the recognizing opportunities to use your top strengths but also seeing that they are valuable. So an example for me would be a manager who recognizes my creativity and invite me to solve a problem. I would feel energized by that and I would feel valued by the fact that my manager sees me as someone who's who's good at doing that. Yeah, that makes a whole amount of sense. And again, there's a space in there for sort of intentionality and observation from the leaders and and managers around there to to step into that and realize that I guess part of a role is to to bring this, you know, bring this interpretation of the world around them to light and to assess and reflect and, and give that positively back. I think that's, um, that, that's really, really great. And in terms of 
thinking about maybe activities or anything like that? Or are there things that leaders could do to aid their reflection on this or, or to get them thinking about things they could do in their team to bring this to life for them? So uh, another good way is to think about, especially in a team, how people interact in pairs. You'll have different qualities come up when you have two people working together and then that same person working with someone else brings up a different dynamic. So it's in the interactions where those strengths are amplified. That's when you notice the most. And Jane, to your point earlier, when you notice in a group someone who had humour as a signature strength, when they were perhaps interacting with someone else, it got amplified. But with someone like you and me, it probably you know, wouldn't get amplified quite so much. It's noticing the difference and then looking at how you bring that in. So in times of a change where you might want to lean into resilience, you might move towards those pro-social strengths that some people have more than others and invite that person to perhaps lead that conversation more. But it's that managing that dynamic between finding a sense of belonging, but recognizing the difference. And studies show that we actually want to feel moderately to highly similar to other people but have sufficient difference this desire to be different is important to us as well so holding that tension of belonging and being different yeah wonderful thank you in the interest of time i'm going to bring our conversation to a close i think we've talked about a whole range of really interesting aspects of focusing on our strengths just before we go though could you say a little bit about people how people can learn more about you and the work that you're doing Absolutely. I'd be delighted to. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Kay Bahia. You can also go to all the W's true-strengths.com and I invite you to do a profile and I'd be happy to talk to you about that. But on a more personal level after this, if you, you know, if you've enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to call someone up who knows you really well and ask them on the spot, just ask them, what do you notice about me that my best and what energizes you and and make a note of it and see if you can find an opportunity to use that in the next few weeks because the studies show if you can start that practice the well-being and positivity surrounded that will actually benefit you for six months to a year beyond that exercise so uh, i hope it's useful to you and your team fantastic that's a great invitation thank you very much kay a big thank you from me and it's thank you from me thank you Okay, you are back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Kay, all about our strengths. Taking a strength-based approach to our personal development and to our experience of the workplace as individuals or leaders. And we covered a, a really good range of stuff in there, I think. Jane, is there anything that stood out for you that you want to reflect back on a little bit? I guess, for me, it's always an interesting thing because I spent the first part of my career pretty much obsessing with my weaknesses and pretty much like spending my whole time thinking about how to fix them. And I just wonder what would have been different if I'd spent more time thinking about what I was good at and even improving on that. And I don't know what comes first, right? I don't know whether it's that I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, but master of none generally. And therefore I'm attracted to that and I'm attracted to learning new things and therefore looking at spaces where I'm not already competent or whether that absence of thinking about strengths didn't really give me a time or focus to focus on being really good at something. But it's just made me think, I guess. It's just made me think about how we approach our personal development on a really big scale. And I think, I guess I come down on the side of you need to do enough work on your weaknesses, absolutely. Or let me rephrase, where things create problematic situations for others, then absolutely you need to think about those things. But I always think about, I mean, you know, I love Hertzberg's motivation theory, right? And for me, it's almost like figuring out what are the hygiene factors and what are not relevant. So like the playfulness thing that we were talking about in the episode might not be an issue for a lot of teams. So 
I don't need to do anything about it, but I do need to understand where things are problematic because then I need to be able to do enough to take that issue off the table and allow me to focus on my strengths. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And like you, I think first focusing on our strengths is absolutely a key part. But similarly, I, I think that sort of hygiene metaphor is pretty helpful when it comes to thinking about some of the, our lesser strengths as well. So yeah, so I think that's a really good way to to think about it. And and sort of building on that, I think all this stuff sort of changes and evolves a bit over time. So I think that journey piece is really helpful and, and learning to navigate in a world where we've got strengths and we've got lesser strengths and learning how to be that person who balances both of those in our interactions in our own lives and in the workplace, I think is really important. And with that, you know, uh, something that I think came up in there that I very much agree with is quite often our strengths and maybe our weaknesses are two sides of a coin, right? They just really are. I don't think we can be all things to all people. And I don't think we can be all things to ourselves. And the things that make us excellent at one thing make us a little bit less good at other things. You know, the energy and creativity and inspiration on one hand might mean less attention to detail on another, right? So we have these pairs and it, we can't really be all these things. I think it's really hard to to be all those different things. So I think that's really, really relevant. One thing also that stood out for me a little bit was this role of sort of observation in managers. So how do we observe and, and reflect and that sort of space to step back and to notice what's going on around us and to be intentional and to think about how things are in our team. I think it came up for me, it really jumped into my mind when Kay spoke about how do one pair of people work and create an experience compared to another pair of people in your team. And the role of a manager to be really intentionally observing in that space and seeing what their skills and capabilities are and and helping navigate that nuance to bring the best and give everyone an opportunity to bring their skills to strength really stood up for me. What do you reflect on that, Jen? Anything to build on that? I think your point about observation is really valid, right? And I think your point about the role of the people around you and the way that we interact is really valid. And I guess if I was going to push it even further, if we forget the contractual obligations for a minute, and I know we can't, and I know, you know, managers have to do all sorts of things and people have to do all sorts of things in their job. But I just feel like, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I just feel like it comes back to open conversations and feedback. And I was listening to someone the other day, or it was someone on Twitter or something. And it was someone I really respect. It was a while back. It was someone I really respected. And they were talking about difficult conversations, right? And they were saying, Everyone just keeps on talking about how we just need to have difficult conversations. Sometimes the conversations isn't the answer. Sometimes we just need to get on and do the work. And I remember thinking at the time I agreed with him, right? And I, you know, I love a workshop on difficult conversations, right? But I remember thinking at the time, I agree with you. And I'm sitting here now several years on and I'm like, I'm not sure that difficult, having difficult conversations solves every problem, but I am sure that it can move you forward to a better resolution in pretty much every case. So it's not going to fix my inability to proofread, but it is going to fix the choices we make as a business about whether we let me be put in a position where I need to proofread. And I, you know, there are, I think, you know, we talk about this, you and I, James, sometimes about like how much you should work on strengths and skills and weaknesses. And I think there are some that are problematic and I think are fixable. I would argue it is probably a poor investment of our time and money to improve my proofreading, right? At this stage. I'm nodding, by the way, yeah. I know. Sorry, I realized you're nodding and then no one could see that. James is nodding vociferously on screen. And I just, there's a little part of me that thinks honest conversations about what is likely to be improved and where there is an appetite for improvement and what isn't and there isn't helps people move on to an honest conversation about is this still the right fit? 
do we change what the fit for you or do we change the person or do you need to find something different? And I'm going some with this, I promise. And I guess that takes me always to the point with, I never understand why organizations are so desperate to keep on to people. And actually, I've always said, oh, I don't really understand it from an organization perspective because I've been in small organizations and there's not jobs for them. But actually, I'm going to go back on all of that. I just don't understand it. Surely the best thing is always the fit is not right. Whatever the costs are, the best right support is to lovingly and helpfully, you know, support them when they want to move on. No? Yeah, I'm with you on that, you know, trying to create a space where people are using their strengths in this example or fulfilled is the dream, right? And it's absolutely the right thing to aim towards, I would say. And I'm I, like, I'm not for a second saying that that there are problematic, stre- we you know, issues with strengths that we don't need to address. I totally get that. I do, and I know you do too. And I, we've talked about that before. I'm just saying, like, having an honest conversation about whether there's an appetite to improve is probably a good place to go. Yeah, and doing ones or bring it to team meetings and stuff like that feels like such a a wonderful starting point. You know, to have conversations about strengths, the impacts of using them, reflecting on our own, speaking about others speaking about how that fits with our our roles, crafting our roles to become more of those. All of that seems like a no-brainer to me. Can I leave you with one question that I think is really cool? I was thinking the other day, and I think we've done this in our work, but we asked a question the other day, which was, how confident would you be to describe other people's strengths in your team? And how confident would you be to predict how others would describe your strengths in the team? I'm just thinking about it. That is, for me... That has got to be one aspect of a high-performing team, surely. To be able to know, you know, that's got James written all over it and chuck it over to James quickly. It's got to be helpful in an efficiency perspective, no? Yeah, I totally agree. And like you said, it's a question we use sometimes in workshops. So I think that's a great question to leave people reflecting with and working towards. Brilliant. Well, with that, I think it's just time for us to say goodbye. So it is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.